Welcome to Triangle 411, the pulse that moves the Triangle world today. It's a vibrant collection of stories, medical breakthroughs, what's trending, social good, events, and boundless other adventures. A conversation pit of comedians, authors, chefs, sports figures, experts, the common and the uncommon. Here's the host of Triangle 411, Mary Innsbrucker. Hi friends, today's show is about employment, eliminating the fear of job seeking and other valuable career advice. We've invited Dr. Katherine Brooks, an award-winning board-certified counselor, coach, and author of several career books, including What Color Is Your Parachute and Picture Your Career, to direct us today. Brooks also writes a blog for Psychology Today and has directed career centers at Vanderbilt University, Wake Forest University, the University of Texas at Austin, and Dickinson College. Welcome, Dr. Brooks. Thank you for having me, Mary. I really appreciate it. So first, let's talk about the job market landscape and how it's changed since COVID. It's it's kind of been thrown into a lot of chaos, quite frankly. It's There's not one specific change that has occurred. It's, it's more like different industries have just experienced um, so many changes, and particularly industries that deal with the public have, have really had to adapt rapidly, and um, employees have had to adapt. So, so COVID has just brought about massive change across the board. So tell us a little bit about uh, how a shortage in the employee pool is hurting employers. Well, I think there's sort of the internal situation and then there's the external situation. And internally, it costs a lot to train and hire a new employee, you know, so it's always better to keep employees if you can. And so this puts a lot of strain on management generally, trying to make sure that whatever operations they have, have enough people to run those operations. And also when you have people leaving, um, you, you lose their intellectual capital, you lose their knowledge and experience that a new person isn't going to have. So again, in the background, it creates a lot of uh, a lot of turmoil. And then on the outside, the way a customer or a client might see it, you may end up with longer wait times in, in a restaurant or in a store. You know, you, you might see reduced hours. For instance, our one of our local pharmacies um, is closing on the weekends. So, you know, that's going to have long-term business implications because you're going to have people who, once they realize that pharmacy can't service them on a weekend, they're going to go to a different pharmacy and they might do that for lo- for a much longer term. So these are the external situations. So really the employee shortage just hurts everybody. So how will businesses have to step up to overcome those obstacles and, and keep employees or, or get new employees? Well, I think, you know, first thing, finance, you know, they're going to need to look at the salaries and the wages that they're paying. And are they keeping competitive with their industry? If they're not, that's that's sort of a bottom line first thing they're going to need to look at. They may also, though, need to look at other ways that they can instill pride or keep their keep staff wanting to work for them. And so that could include everything from creating a better environment or culture for the workers, making sure that management is treating the workers well. And if they're if management is not you need to look at your management, potentially move them on. You want to make sure all the safety conditions are being addressed in whatever ways that might 
be, particularly if, you know, if you're dealing with the public, you know, what are the masking requirements or what are the ways that we're keeping our employees safe, maybe behind plexiglass and things like that. Also, flexible scheduling is another way. Not not every job can allow telecommuting, but many can. And so being flexible and looking for ways to increase the flexibility for your employees. And then, of course, in addition to money, benefits, things like college tuition or health care, things that um, that might cause an employee to stay at your location rather than move to a competitor. So what is the overall economic outlook for job hunters? Overall, it's very good. You know, the the unemployment rate right now is very low. Um we have all walked down the street and seen lots of signs, job openings, things like that. If you look at, at Indeed.com or any of the major job sites, you'll see lots and lots of opportunities. And certainly uh, certain fields like healthcare and education, hospitality, there are a lot of openings in those fields. So I think right now is a great time for people to be looking for a job. I agree with that. You know, change it. People struggle with it. It can be a bad thing, but it certainly can sometimes be a good thing. And this seems to give the, you know, the whole worker shortage event happening here seems to give employees an upper hand. It does in a way. I mean, I think you have to be a little careful as an employee or a potential employee of not letting that go to your head so that you come across, um, perhaps a little arrogant or entitled in the in the job process and assuming that the employer needs you. You know, I think you still have to go through all the normal job search approaches that you, that you would do in any kind of setting. And um, also, I, one area that I have noticed is and have heard from individuals that I know that are trying to hire right now is people, for some reason right now, seem to be ignoring the job descriptions and applying for jobs that, quite frankly, they're not qualified for. And then they don't understand why they're not getting that job. So, mm. yes, the job market is pretty wide open right now. And employees do have an upper hand, so to speak. But you also need to be qualified for the role that you're seeking. Plain old common sense. But, you know, in your book, What Color Is Your Parachute? You offer tips for job seekers. What advice would you give for negotiating an employment package given that? Because it's kind of a, you know, you, you've got some opportunity, but like you say, you don't want to go overboard. With negotiation, the first thing is you wait to negotiate until the interview is almost concluded and until you have an offer. There's really nothing to negotiate per se until you have a basic offer and you know that the employer wants to hire you. but the things to be considering in this whole process is, you know, what is my bottom line? You know, what, what do I need? And does this employer potentially offer that for me? So in addition to the salary, you want to be thinking about what are the benefits? And those can be anything from health benefits, which could extend to vision, dental, um, mental health, Things like tuition reimbursement or the ability to take online classes, stock options, retirement options, any kind of family leave or child care options, disability benefits, sick leave, student loan repayment even. So there's a lot of things that an employer potentially could be offering, but you need to research that and 
look at their human resources page and see what the employer has already listed so that you know that. And so, you know, it's very important for the negotiating process to wait until you're, you know, you've got the offer and do your research ahead of time before you have this offer so that you know what the general salary range is. So you know what the um, what the opportunities are that the company can offer you. So I think that's a real good point that you're making. Wait till you get the offer. Because I think a lot of people, again, thinking, you know, the world is at their feet right now and they can do, like you say, go to jobs they're not even qualified for and get a million dollar pay pay scales. Uh, I I know somebody was hiring and the person just plopped down with no experience and says, well, I want $75,000 for this job. And they had to say, well, the, the range for this job is $45,000. So, you know, people are <laughs> sometimes on the wrong track. And that's what I want to say. So it was a good point. Don't even negotiate till you get an offer. Don't go into the interview and say things like that. And then on top of that, you know, once you are getting into all these great ideas you gave us about pursue other things than just the pay, how do you know when to hold or fold, though? You know, how much is pushing too little or too much? Well, I think that starts with before you even or as you're considering this offer is, is this a good job for me? And that's going to vary, you know, depending on what's important to you. So it could be, does it use my talent and skills in a way I want to use them? Is it in the right location? Is it the right industry? Does it add, uh, some people are concerned about resume value. You know, does it add prestige or resume value? Is it the right environment? So that's your, that's kind of your basics, making sure that's all in line, that it is fitting with what you want. And then what is your bottom line in terms of what is non-negotiable? For instance, in your world, it might be healthcare. So I can go a little flexible on the salary if I know the company's paying for my healthcare. Um, and, and so you want to, you want to know what your kind of bottom line minimum is. And, and then once you've attained that in the negotiation, now we're talking icing on the cake. Now we're looking at what else you might be able to negotiate, but, but you know, is not going to be a deal breaker. What, what sense does someone get? Like, again, you know, when you go in, if you're going to, these, these are my bottom lines and I'm, I'm got bare minimum. I got to walk away with this, but Hey, you know, she's still listening. The, the, <laughs> the, uh, personnel manager is still listening. So maybe I'll go for extra vacation time, or maybe I'll go for, uh, flexible hours or whatever. Is there a sense somebody would get, like, is there body language or, Anything else that would sense like, hey, you've, you're asking too much, stop now? I think, yeah, I think you've nailed it. I think it's going to be a body language expression sort of thing. I think you can always, you want to be careful that you're always asking these questions politely and not in any kind of demanding way. Mm. That you're saying things like, is there flexibility in the amount of vacation time I can have? Or, you know, you may have an event coming up. Um, let's say you're getting hired in in May and your best friend's getting married in June and you know there's a company policy that they don't allow vacations for the first six months. So you might want to negotiate this wedding in June. You know, may I attend that? You know, and I realize that's that's asking more than what you would normally give. And and again, watch the body language. If if they're starting to get a little uncomfortable, you may have reached a point that um, that you shouldn't push this anymore. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I think it's it's a subtle thing. It's very hard to do, and it's very hard to explain because it's it's a relationship mm-hmm. issue. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I have one more negotiation question, and then I want to go mm-hmm. on to a couple other great points that, again, folks, you can find a lot of this information in uh, Dr. Brooks' books. But um, as far as a negotiation, what if you are already employed? So you're not looking for a job, but you're already employed. Do those folks have leverage given this um, employment climate with COVID? Yeah, you know, that's really the ideal situation is when you have a current position and someone offers you an alternative. Now, presumably, it's the alternative needs to be better. You wouldn't be leaving your current position. You wouldn't even be considering that. But if the alternative is better, you know, you really can go a couple ways with that. You can just choose to leave and take this new opportunity. But another way is if you do like your current employer, you can go to your employer and say, I've had this other offer and here's what it is. Um, I would prefer to stay. Is there any way the company can match this offer or can we discuss this? Now, when you do that, you always take the risk that your employer is going to say, there's the door. Mm -hmm. So you have to know that ahead of time. So it's, it's not something you want to play lightly with, but that's an excellent way to negotiate within your own current position. You don't have to transition out if you've got an opportunity with another company. But what if you don't have that opportunity? Whether, you know, what if you're happy where you are, but you're seeing all this going on and you're thinking, Mm -hmm. hey, you know, maybe I should try and negotiate. I'm happy where I am. I'm going to stay, but other people are getting better, better packages and reflex time or a little bit more money. Should they go or how should they go to their, uh, employer and say, what about me? Well, I think you can do that if you, you know, it's always a little risky um, because what you want to be careful is that you're not conveying that you're unhappy at the current role. If you like your job and you want to keep your job, that needs to be your opening statement of, I really like it here, but I am wondering my colleagues over at X company I've noticed that they're giving them more flex time. Is there an opportunity here that we could look at more flex time? You know, that's how I would word it as, again, keeping it a conversation. Um, I know it's a negotiation to a certain extent, but you always need to keep in mind that um, these kinds of conversations can hit people the wrong way and you can end up getting information you don't want to have. So what advice would, uh, what color is your parachute recommend if someone is unhappy with their job in regards to the best way to transition to something else? Uh, thank you for asking that. You know, chapter four really covers that in a lot of detail, but but let me just sort of give the basic thing. Um, the thing to think about, if you're burning out, for example, and you just think you need to do something else, again, what you're going to want to think about is, do I want to keep doing the same job? Is the job okay? It's just maybe the place that I'm doing it or the industry that I'm doing it in. You know, so it's it's always easier if you're keeping any kind of transition within, let's say, the same job title or the same job field. The hardest transition is when you're switching both. So for instance, if I'm a nurse and I'm getting burned out, you know, it could be that maybe I just need to switch from um, pediatrics to geriatrics. Maybe I want a different age client. So maybe I can just talk within my current hospital setting and find out if switching around is possible. Um, 
or it could be, this is just not a very good hospital I'm working in. The conditions at this other hospital are better, so I'm going to be an emergency room nurse and I'm gonna move from this emergency room at this hospital to the one over at this other hospital. Those are relatively easy transitions. Now, the next hardest is I'm a nurse, but I'm gonna go from hospital setting to an insurance company. Now you need to do your research and you need to understand the differences in those two types of jobs and being a nurse in, in your current role in a hospital versus an insurance company. What is the knowledge that you're going to need to have to work in the insurance company? What kind of clients might you have? Are you gonna be in their rehabilitation unit or, or you know that, that sort of thing? And then the, the next is to say, I'm gonna go work for an insurance company as an accountant. Now you've done a complete transition. You've changed not only the, the place you're working in, you've changed the industry you're working in, the, the job title. Um, and so, that, again, is going to require you doing some pretty careful analysis of can I make this transition or what do I need to do to make this transition? Okay, really good advice. Now, what about just generally? How do you overcome the fear of job seeking? You know, job seeking is such an odd sort of thing. You know, we, we have to do things like write resumes, which are these very strange documents that you don't write for any other purpose. So everything's a little different, you know, in, in when you do the job search, you're out of your normal comfort zone. So recognizing that, and I think the most important thing to have is self-compassion, is recognizing that you're doing things right now that are going to stress you out. Mm -hmm. And so how do I care for myself in that? How do I reward myself? How do I how do I make myself, um, you know, treat myself well? And, and in this process, how do I reward myself for it? So knowing your strengths is very helpful. The more you know about yourself, the more confidence you're likely to have, knowing what this is you're looking for, the kind of job you're looking for, um, knowing that there are a lot of jobs out there. And, and don't set yourself up to find the perfect job. There are no perfect jobs, but some jobs are more perfect than others. So looking for the job that's more perfect than other jobs is helpful. And also, it's okay not to know. It's okay to feel a little unsure. It's okay not to know if this job is going to be right when you go to that interview. That's part of the process. So don't pressure yourself to know everything. Let's say we're almost out of time here. So what would you recommend the top three things you should do to prepare for an interview? Well, the first thing is research. Research yourself. Make sure you know all your strengths and research the company. Make sure you know what this company does, what their specialization is, what they're known for, what their reputation is, and know the opportunity itself. Be sure that you have read the job description thoroughly. Um, I, you know, in my area, when I was in career services, we had two basic positions. We had employer relations and we had career counselors. And I can't tell you how many times someone would apply for the employer relations side of the house and say things like, oh, I can't wait to work with students. Well, if they had read the job description, that's not in it. Uh, you know, you, you really do need to know what you're applying for. The second thing is prepare stories. Have stories that illustrate your points. If you say you're a hard worker, what's the story you're going to tell to explain that? Because everybody's gonna say they're a hard worker. And then the third thing is to prepare really good questions. And these are questions that cannot be answered on the, on the internet sites. They can't be answered by you know, Payscale or Indeed. Questions like, 
you know, what do you, Mr. or Ms. Interviewer, what, what do you enjoy most about working at this company? What do you think your company's best strengths are as far as working with employees? You know, having questions that can't be answered any other way but the interview is, is the third thing I would say. Wow. Those are great points. Things I've, <laughs> I've never thought of. Perfect. So final word, what is the one formula to close the deal and walk away with that job? These are such great questions. I really appreciate this, Mary. You know, I, I don't know if there's a formula. I think the most important thing to remember is this is a relationship. You know, when it all comes down to all the interview tips and the resumes and all this research and everything else, it's really all about the relationship between you and the employer. So you need to establish how you can help the employer through your knowledge, your talent, your skills, your diversity, the things that you add and bring with you. And then you need to convey your excitement of why they are right for you. You know, what, what you appreciate about the opportunity to work for them. So that it's a two-way street. They they understand that you're going to bring something and you're also going to benefit by working with them. I think our audience has benefited from listening to you today. A lot of great advice and insight, et cetera. And so if they wanted to learn more, where would they go to uh, get either What Color Is Your Parachute or some of your other books that you have written? All of my books are available uh, through the major booksellers like Amazon and Barnes and Noble, but I also highly recommend you support your local independent bookstore if you have one in your town or city. I recommend that as well, but they're all available easily through Amazon. Great. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you. Greatly appreciate the interview. Now it's time for our nonprofit spotlight, and we have a unique one today. Made for Me partners with parents and therapists of special needs kids to design custom pieces to make day-to-day life full of possibilities. The nonprofit is located in Raleigh, North Carolina. Made for Me offers personalized adaptations of furniture and more out of industrial cardboard at no cost to the child or families. The vision of Made For Me seeks a future where all people with special needs have access to custom adaptations. Their mission is to help improve the lives of those with special needs and those that take care of them. You can learn more at their website, madeforme.org. Madeforme.org. And the for is numerical, not F-O-R. So made numerical for me.org. Well, it's time to high five and say goodbye. This is Mary Innsbrucker for Triangle 411. Today, dot, 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 make an impact.